1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Mark Strauss, TV guy on the radio, uh, with his usual visit on a Tuesday. Uh, how are you doing? I'm How's doing great. Good. Yep. Are you watering the grass a lot? No, I, I don't water. It's dormant. I've been I've been told, I've learned over the years, that you don't have to water it. I mean, if you want it to stay green, you have to water it. Okay. But if I, you don't water it, it changes colors a little bit. But then it comes. It, what, what happens? Yeah, it, it'll 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 eventually come back. All right. And if it if it stay and it, if it doesn't come back fully this season, mm-hmm. it'll come back next year. Okay. It'll 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 be fine. So no watering. Well, um, you know, with the price of water going up, I know. I just stopped watering a couple of years ago. I have I have all the um the. You can water if you want. Yeah. I have all the things, and I, I don't set it up very often. I don't, yeah. I don't run the sprinkler. Yeah. Um, but all right. Um, so there's a bad drought going on. I actually wanted to start here as far as a conversation. Sure. Uh, you, um, for years, uh, talked to a lot of people within the farm community uh, about all the different reasons yeah. uh, that that is a, a incredibly important part of our community uh, and all the farmers who are listening to the show or can hear this show. And so I'm sure the drought is at the forefront of almost everyone's mind uh, in that community or maybe even well beyond it. We've usually had, we usually have, I should say it this way, about 40 storms uh, in June, or at least storm warnings in June. We've only had one. Uh, The drought is very bad. It's uniquely bad, and it's causing a lot of problems with corn production, et cetera. Uh, What are some of your reactions to the drought, how uh, farmers are trying to deal with it, any of that stuff? Well, I mean, there's there's not a lot they can do. I would suspect, and you'd have to go to, you know, somebody like the Lost Yankee who is on with the morning show yeah. uh, could explain maybe in more technical terms what agriculture is expecting, but I I can't imagine that we're not going to have a significantly lower, uh, lower in volume corn crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not sure soybeans will be affected as much. You'd have to talk to somebody who's a little more knowledgeable than me, but my understanding from talking to farmers I used to host a farm show for a yeah. while in radio uh, because soybeans are, you know, they're on the ground mm-hmm. and corn is on a stalk, right? So uh, the, the 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 soy the soybean plants, to a certain extent, shade the ground some, so they're they're not quite as affected by this long drought and heat. They're affected, yeah, but maybe a little less. But anyway, when it comes to corn, uh. The the harvest is going to be lower, right? I would imagine significantly. And now think about it: um, corn goes to feed livestock, so the price of that's going to go up, which means the price of meat and milk is going to go up because the ranchers and the dairy farmers are going to be paying more, yeah. right, to feed yeah, their animals. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, over. There's a lot of branches, a lot of tentacles. There's for this. a pretty sizable amount of corn. Uh, that's grown for the production of ethanol, so that'll drive up fuel costs, right? <laughs> Fun. That sounds like a perfect um, time for And that. then if fuel costs go up, that means the price of every other commodity and product goes up yeah. because they all have to yeah. be transported mm-hmm. from the, 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 the people who provide it. Yeah. to the people who sell it to you in the store. Yeah, what's so interesting is how um, 
and I know this might be silly to say. This is just corn driving up the price (laughs) of every single thing. I know this might be silly to say for anyone, uh, any of the farmers that are listening to the show, but how much uh, that uh, industry just fuels um, everything else that's going on uh, in the world and how eventually it does become at the the forefront of your mind when you walk into the grocery store and things are more expensive. It's the most important industry, and then comes energy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so, again, we're, we're going through a uniquely bad drought, uh, which is having a lot of, of negative impacts. Uh, do you think it gets to a point where there's any sort of aid provided by the government? Well, there already is. I mean, they, you know, uh, farmers buy crop insurance every year mm-hmm. for this very reason, for uh, for for crop damage, storm damage, mm-hmm. um, years where there's drought. Right. So our tax dollars go to subsidize agriculture. It's probably one of the few things that the government can really justify confiscating our earnings for because we have to eat. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, I I know that Trump was was well known as being someone who seemed to put farmers uh, first or put farmers in the very upper echelon of of important people in our society. And that is not something that the Democrats are known uh, quite a bit for. And actually, the drought conversation, I'm sure you've heard this, moves into the world of climate change uh, for some in the world of politics. And it seems almost beneficial uh, to not uh, put uh, assistance in certain places if you're trying to push. And I think Biden just announced $600 million more million in spending or something the other day uh, toward climate change, uh, which experts have also said has nothing to do with this drought. For anyone that thinks that it is connected, uh, there's some sort of storm pattern just north of us that's causing a uniquely bad problem as far as a lack of, of storms here. Uh, but anyway, it just seems so interesting to me because it seems like it'll be another focal point or it could be another focal point uh, in the election or just in, in general political circles as we continue to see things get worse uh, with both sides having very different uh, desires. Uh, the left would almost desire for more drought. Uh, the right, or, of course, or, or conservatives would like to help farmers and get through this, well, at they, least in my opinion. They use everything, every <laughs> right. of every event mm-hmm. – to convince you that things, things are, are happening because of the climate. Yeah, things are broken. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, sh- shifting gears a little bit. Um, and I I'm mean, wor- I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know that this is an historically bad drought. It's yeah. a, it's a bad drought. Yeah. But I don't think it yet measures with historically bad. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I guess some of the what I've read, um, and this is all uh, guessing in the world of um, our weather, is that it. it doesn't look like it's going to change any time in the near future yeah. because of some of the weather patterns. Yeah. So maybe it will get, unfortunately, closer and closer to being uh, more historically significant. I want to shift gears for just a second. I intend to ask you a bunch of questions about the Trump interview that happened last night uh, with Brett Baer on uh, Fox News. Uh, but I'd rather just first talk about Hunter Biden and the um, what many people are calling sweetheart deal that just <laughs> occurred. Uh, the biggest part about it that I saw missing from almost every legacy media, left-leaning, whatever you want to call them, outlet out there, are the things he wasn't even charged with at all. Uh, There were multiple contemplations of other charges that just didn't come to fruition. Things like um, falsifying business records. Well, that sounds eerily similar to someone who got charged uh, for something of the exact same nature. Uh, And even just um, uh, avoiding certain charges uh, based on the way in which Hunter Biden just lied uh, to our government or to anyone and everyone uh, that asked him questions about this for quite some time. And then finally, and this is my favorite thing, I saw one take out there that said his biggest strength in a courtroom and the reason that he got such a great deal would be that you have to intentionally do 
um, certain things, which is something that Trump could also defend himself for in Manhattan and say, it wasn't my intention to break any rules. Uh, the people that I trusted did that. But the reason that Hunter Biden could claim that, according to one left-leaning platform, is how many drugs he was doing. Yeah. And that's insane to me to think that the the crime of doing illegal drugs and being a person who was unreliable for a variety of reasons and the whole gun charge coming from that same place, uh, the felony charge that's going to wind up being, I think, almost completely expunged from his record uh, based on this deal. Uh, but also the idea that because he was on uh, drugs so significantly – he could show up in a courtroom and say, I didn't know I was I was breaking um, financial laws. And that's a defense, according to someone. Well, I always had heard that uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Right. I've heard that, but, too. But the beauty of this, Craig, is that it's so blatantly obvious, the double standard that's taking place, not just in this, but in every other one of these events where Trump has been targeted by either the Department of Justice or a special prosecutor or the the uh, prosecutor in New York, yeah. it's so blatantly obvious that people don't even need someone like yourself to explain it to them anymore. <laughs> they can see it themselves, and they can and they know sure. that it doesn't add up. And and here's the other thing that's interesting about this is on June sixth, so today's the twentieth. So two weeks ago today, Trump truthed out on Truth Social. That, yes, I saw this. That this was going to happen. That, that they, they were going to give a slap they, on the wrist to Hunter. They were going to hit him with some smaller charge mm-hmm. to create the illusion of equal treatment. You know what's crazy about you saying and, that? Now, my question is, sure. and I'm not asking you so that you can answer the question. Sure. I'm just throwing this out there. Sure. How does Trump know what's going to happen so often before it actually happens? What's, what's crazy about you uh, pointing that out, uh, that I, I remember seeing that, too, at the time, um, is that Sonny Hostin on The View, and I didn't even pull this audio. I wasn't going to play it today, uh, but you just said this, literally used that. Um, uh, they played audio of the announcement that he's that Hunter Biden's getting slapped on the wrist. And then Sonny Hostin actually said into a camera, this proves that there is no unfair treatment in the world of our judicial system. They go after everybody, even if you're the son of the current president, uh, even though what's actually going to happen with Hunter Biden is um, nothing. Well, I mean, you can go after somebody. You right. can you can give somebody a parking ticket mm-hmm. for uh, like, let's say you went into an apartment building mm-hmm. and you shot somebody, but you were illegally parked. So what I'm saying is, is you can go, quote, unquote, go right. after and somebody. Give them the, I, well, exactly. That's it's, exactly what I'm it's, saying. It's what what are you trying to do to them? No, I, exactly. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. What I'm saying is they're already using it in some of these uh, left-leaning places to um, create the point right. that Trump was saying they're yes. going to use it to create. It's, it's out there he and I can play audio, yeah. sure, uh, which is uh, crazy in and of itself. But again, the biggest thing for anyone that pays attention to this story today that I'll say uh, and probably say multiple times in the show is it's not just the things that you're going to see um, Hunter Biden plead guilty to and then the punishment for those individual things, which is already a sweetheart deal, uh, even though some on the left are trying to debate it. It's the things that they chose not to charge him with at all uh, that make it such a significantly uh, a good example of how it's unfair in the world of one team and the other team and how the Justice Department cares and doesn't care. Well, the, 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 the things that he hasn't been charged with mm-hmm. that you have – expressed Mm -hmm. are things that tie Joe Biden to all of these business dealings and Joe Biden shell companies and maybe other politicos as well. 
Well, so uh, so far, so um, they don't want to go down that road. Sure. So far, what the uh, oversight committee is saying is that they're not stopping any investigation right. they're doing into Hunter Biden, and they will uh, uncover and demonstrate uh, proof to exactly what you said. But the networks there's... don't play any, you know, clips from the oversight committee during mm-hmm. their hearings, and they don't publicize their findings as a news operation. That's malpractice. Sure. Well, no, and even more importantly, I just want to say this for anyone that's, that's uh, maybe not, um, uh, maybe I'm not doing a good job of explaining what I mean. Uh, Trump is charged with 37 counts of committing federal crimes, uh, which means you literally, if the assumption is correct, tried every single possible thing uh, you could get him in trouble for. And then Hunter Biden was only charged with a couple of the things that they could have easily done. And just look, there are left-leaning publications that a few months ago said and four or the, five, six counts was what was being contemplated, yeah. and you get down to just two or three. And they're the least serious <laughs> And they're the charges, least, right, right, exactly, yes, exactly. And then those are even still being punished at a lesser degree right. than they could be punished at. Uh, but that is what is being used as an argument by the left to say that this isn't a sweetheart deal, that anyone that's a first-time offender would get these kind of things anyway. Uh, it's partially because of what they chose to charge him for and what they chose to ignore. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, after the break, we have a couple just quicker things uh, that I, I teased a little earlier in the show, like one in five Americans doesn't know how to check their credit report or Gen Z doesn't really care about live sports. And then we are going to play some of the audio in the next half hour of Trump sitting down with Brett Baer. And actually, you know what, I'll, I'll say this, Mark, and I, I'm assuming you're going to agree with this. The thing that I like most about the fact that that occurred the other night, even after uh, the the uh, courts warned Trump not to say things, uh, that was a big story out yesterday. The judges said you can't, you can't discuss this stuff with anybody, is love Trump or hate Trump. The man is willing to pop in front of a television and talk about stuff that everyone around him is telling him he shouldn't talk about. And as the American people, we should be happy about that. We should like the fact that someone is not looking into a a camera, speaking into a microphone and saying, I can't discuss this. You know, it's ongoing investigation, whatever Corinne Jean-Pierre says all the time about, I don't know anything, go talk to that department about this. The man himself uh, took hard questions from Brett Baer of Fox News about what's going on and, and answered them. People criticize the answers or people love the answers. That part is relevant. Uh, this is one of the only politicians that I know of that does this, that sits down and goes, go ahead, ask well, me stuff. He went on CNN a few months ago and did the town hall. Yes, he and, did. And, and answered all the questions. And I think, uh, and this is obvious, I don't really have to tell people this, it's the only way he's going to get the word out outside of Truth Social or a platform that's friendly to him. So he does that even if he's going into hostile territory. But think about that. I, I, I know. I understand what you're saying. I, just think about this again, everyone listening. He was told by the courts, sure. um, his own lawyers, by, by pretty much everyone, uh, that silence is a valuable tool right yeah. now. And he disregarded all of that, uh, for better or for worse, is what I'm sure people will decide. Um, and, and there's certainly well, going to be some takes about it. But he, he at least was willing to show up and give sure. answers to Brett Baer in an interview just after it happened on Fox before they aired the spe- the uh, conversation said, I was surprised at how many questions he answered uh, because, you know, uh, they thought that there'd be some that he would. And he didn't have like his lawyers sitting behind him mm-hmm. or anything. Trump showed up and answered questions, hate him or like him. You cannot dislike the fact that the man is willing to have a conversation with someone in media who definitely challenged. Well, him. if if. If you're an innocent man and you have the truth on your side, there's nothing to be afraid of. 
1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Mark Strauss, TV guy on the radio here, hanging out. Uh, I'm just going to do this quickly. Uh, we might get into this topic more uh, after the news as well. But this submersible, uh, very small um, uh, vessel that's now been lost at sea while uh, going on a Titanic tour, I saw some descriptions about it. It's the size of a minivan, and it has uh, like five or six people in it. Uh, it's been missing uh, since about a few hours after it first it's went a into bubble, the water. It? Yeah, it's basically like a little bubble, uh, and they only have about 40 hours left of breathable air as a search is ongoing to find this this submersible submersible uh, vessel. Um, and honestly, the assumption that they're not already gone is one we're just making. Um, but they lost contact with this thing just a couple hours, as I said, after it first started to head toward. The Titanic. Uh, there, you have any quick reactions to this story, to, to how much it's sort of exploded in the last 24 hours? Well, I, I apologize if I sound ignorant here, but uh, is the military involved? And don't they have the capability to get that deep into the ocean and, and, and see things and do things? The Coast, Guard is, that... the Coast Guard is searching for the 22-foot, 23,000-pound um, uh, uh, vessel is what it says in a lot of the different places covering this. Uh, 96 hours is the total amount of time it can be submerged, and so it's, it's been down there for already about half that time. And it's becoming a, a more significant talking point, I think, in the world of news because it, it sounds more and more like it's unlikely that they'll locate this um, vehicle or that the people on board are actually even still alive. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the Coast Guard is around the clock trying to find it. I guess some of the technology on it, too, or the technology in general, is is not as good as you'd think it'd be. You know, we have very limited communication capability with it and, and very limited understanding of where exactly it could be um, since it's lost. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. Because it doesn't make sense. Because we can communicate with uh, a vehicle on Mars <laughs> that we've sent there that, sure. that took X number of years to get there. Yes, yeah, it seems. But we can't communicate with this vessel that's yeah. several miles it's, underwater. It's certainly shocking to a lot of people like you and me that don't understand. I heard Mark Lee Van Camp and Robbins describe it as basically like an Xbox controller. Um, that's the amount of information or, or capability we have, and that that seems completely wrong. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Fair I, enough. I don't believe that. Fair enough. All right, we got to take a break. As I said, we're uh, going to come up with a lot would, of things. Would, would you get into that if it was just something of that nature? I, I've, the people who are on it are supposed to be worth a, a lot of money because yeah. it, it costs a lot of money to go on the trip in the first place. So I don't know if, if you were doing Isn't something. Isn't the head of some company? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But if you were doing something that's that rare of an experience, maybe I would get on it, even if they made me sign something that said it's not the safest thing. I don't know. I, it's the same question. Would I fire myself up to the moon when one day we get uh, sold the opportunity to get in a rocket and fly the moon. I don't have a good answer for you, Mark, um, but it's an interesting story to say the least. Uh, after the break, we will talk about Brett Baer and Trump and the sit-down last night. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Mark Strauss, TV guy on the radio, hanging out with me, uh, as he usually does on Tuesday at this time. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about, but let's get to it. Uh, Brett Baer sat down with the former president, Donald Trump, the leading candidate on the Republican side of the aisle for the Republican nomination. And that uh, those polls, uh, it seems like the distance is growing between Trump and everybody else. And so wildly valuable conversation. That surprises you, doesn't it? At times it does. Uh, not necessarily because of people 
uh, is certainly at least conservatives uh, feeling invigorated or, or, or feeling a need to support Trump at a time when he seems to be unfairly getting prosecuted. That's not terribly shocking to that, me. That's been since 2016. Right. <laughs> I, I know. It, it almost plays into the hands of, of Trump that he's still being gone after. It's almost continuous. Sure. It's almost as if it's the yeah, – right. I, the thing I will say is I think DeSantis has fumbled. I think while Trump has benefited from some things, I think there have been more um, uh, missteps – uh, not that there's very much public discussion about DeSantis right now uh, than I expected from DeSantis early on. I think maybe even just waiting so long to get into the race uh, might have been a mistake for him. Uh, I can't tell you that I see anyone else on the Republican side of the aisle right now as an actual um, uh, threat to Trump. I think Brett Baer even said that, actually, not in the audio I'm going to play, but in an interview he did with The Five, where he said Trump did take a lot of time talking about DeSantis and not really talking about any other Republican candidates. And they asked him, why do you think that is? Is he threatened by DeSantis? And Brett Baer said, from my gauge with Trump, no. He just knows that DeSantis is the closest to him, and so he's talking about him the most. Um, but, you know, uh, even that closeness. Um, but, yes, I, I, I will say that I am surprised. I like DeSantis a lot. I've said it on the show before. Um, um, but it does seem like there have been some mistakes. The hit piece against Casey DeSantis, though, was nuts. And I talked about that a lot the other day uh, because it just seemed it seemed ridiculous and illogical uh, that the same media outlets that would praise Michelle Obama or Hillary Clinton when she's the the first lady or or anyone else that's a powerful or thought of as as valuable um, um, input person uh, to the Democratic people that wind up in that role seem to hate the idea that Casey DeSantis is valuable as far as her opinion goes to Ron DeSantis. Well, they used to do the same thing to Nancy Reagan. Sure. It, it, it's a weird... It's a, she, she, would def, she would defend Ronald Reagan, her husband, and, sh, and there were things that she would discuss or that she was at the front of, like the anti-drug uh, campaign. Yeah. And they always attack Nancy Reagan. So well, it's, 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 it's a weird double standard, um, uh, because I know there's a lot of double standards. I know everyone's laughing at the idea that, that you know, this is uh, at all shocking to me. But it's just an odd one in a society that preaches uh, respect for women and, and, you know, Me Too movement and all the things that happened, to have a hit piece against Casey DeSantis. Just, and what sounded like what they were describing is just a really respectful, good marriage. Uh, where Casey's opinion matters a lot to Ron, and he wants to hang out with her and be around her and his family a lot. Those were somehow negatives uh, because she's too secretive, and they don't know what she's actually she, – they don't know what string she's – it's just odd. Anyway, I'll move on. And even my mom, I know, texted me yesterday and said even the praise for, for Jill Biden is, is significant, uh, and yet um, – I don't really know at times what that benefit is, if anything, that's going on in the world of, of uh, that relationship and how um, our well, president she, makes decisions. She helps him figure out how, how to, to get <laughs> off the stage. <laughs> I knew you were going there. Yes, she does do that. All right, let's do this. Um, okay. I love this first. This is not the viral thing from the Brett Bear trump conversation. It's not something you'll probably hear a whole lot of places, actually, uh, but I definitely wanted to play it here. Uh, the question that Brett asks the former president is basically, I am paraphrasing it because I don't remember it exactly, uh, are there things you'd like to change about your public persona or things you would change about uh, how you've behaved in the past? That, that's the basic sentiment of the question. And this is what Trump said about himself and the way that some people uh, view him or talk about him. The mean tweets people out there, I feel like, is who he's talking to as he says this. I would like to be less combative, but I find the press is extremely dishonest. And if I'm not combative, I don't get my word across. If I'm not combative, I don't know. I, I don't think you could win. I think 
regardless me or somebody else, if somebody else got the nomination, these radical left maniacs would come after them at a level like you've never seen before, and they're not going to be able to withstand it. Our country is sick. It's sick. We have people that will do anything, and it's a very sad thing. Like Here's what I'll say in response to that, too. Um, they have gone after Ron DeSantis, and Ron DeSantis has not had the same level of response uh, that Trump has had. Uh, they go after um, Tim Scott. They, they literally call him an Uncle Tom in some places in media. And Tim Scott responds, uh, by the way, and I like Tim Scott a lot, too. But I think there's some tremendous truth to what Trump is saying, and maybe even back to the, what we were saying a second ago, Mark, about Ron DeSantis lowering as far as his likelihood of being a, a true competitor to, to Trump. It might be a byproduct of media trashing him and DeSantis not handling it uh, a way that works compared to Trump. You know, you, I, you and I have talked about this off the air and on the air. In past presidential campaigns, there have been candidates who have discussed very serious and substantive issues and uh, I often point to Ron Paul because there are certain things that Ron Paul, when he ran for president, that he spoke of with the same philosophy that Trump has. But when he would be when he would appear at a debate or do a news interview, he would say what he said and very few follow up questions, if any. He, in fact, at the last time he ran for president, he had the they gave him the least time during the debate of any of the candidates that were up there. And he complained about it. But my point is, is that Ron Paul comes across as a very intelligent and knowledgeable, uh, well-spoken guy. But there's nothing he doesn't make you pay attention to him. And the media, I think, by design, wasn't interested in those subjects. They felt they were boring. They weren't controversial. Things like uh, whether or not we should be on the gold standard. Things uh, like the, the, the military-industrial complex mm -hmm. and all the wars. And, and there's about three or four topics where Ron Paul is right in line with Donald Trump. Sure. And I'm just using Ron Paul as one example. If you don't make people pay attention mm -hmm. with the neon lights and the siren going. Sure. And you're not the one that the media wants to highlight. Sure. You're not going to connect with people. So that's how yeah. you go over no. the media's head. I, uh, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Reagan had a different way of doing it. Sure. Right? Uh, uh, well, I, I know you are a much better student of Reagan than I am, um, but um, – but you've had enough exposure to Reagan to understand sure. Any, what, what anything it, I've watched from Reagan. Uh, it does feel almost similar to Trump in one sense that it's it's more a guy saying something than say the way a politician said things. Uh, there there are things about the way that Reagan spoke, even when Reagan spoke to the press uh, directly and looked at them, uh, that the press would laugh as Reagan seemed to be somewhat making fun of them yes, to their faces. Yes, I was going to say he yeah. could insult you right. and make you laugh. Right? Yeah, they're, the people in the press room would be like, ah, this guy, as he's saying that they're right. not really trustworthy to their faces. Yeah, uh, which is sort of um, amazing to me because Trump most, doesn't benefit from that. One of the most and the quickest anecdote, one of the most, I think, famous and humorous retorts while uh, Reagan was president is that uh, I think it was during his first term and he, he you know, he was getting his tax uh, reform enacted and things like that. But it was going to take some time before 
And the Democrats were in charge of the Congress and the budget. Sure. So the deficit was the, the budget de- deficit was going up. Yeah. And of course, it was his goal to bring it down. And I don't think that ever happened because he didn't have all chambers of Congress to go up. But anyway, Sam Donaldson stands up and and asks him something to the effect, and you can find this and play it on your show sometime, something along the lines of, uh, well, Mr. President, uh, do you do you blame yourself at all for, you know, the deficit and, the, you know, financial problems that are going on right now? And his response was, without blinking an eye, Sam, I do blame myself because I used to be a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughed. Sure, yeah, it's a good joke. But it's a valuable he joke. made his point. Right. Now, Trump doesn't have the same kind no. of skill as Reagan. No. But I think we also... Well, we're we're Reagan, in a different era. I, yeah, I, he I, didn't, Reagan didn't have to deal with yeah. social media well, the, and, and, and talk radio. Yeah, well, this is the thing I, I wanted to say, and I was thinking about what Trump said, and an easy comparison that I would make, and darn it, this is in the world of, of radio, which is where I, I live and you live, and a lot of us have lived, or me professionally, my entire uh, broadcast career. I know you did. I, I talk, call you TV guy on the radio, although Rush Limbaugh did have a TV show for a little while. Uh, Rush used to say, um, and you and I have talked about this a lot, in response to the most basic of questions about his show and the the outlandish uh, things, or the, the quote-unquote um, controversial things that he would say, uh, that he was doing those things on purpose uh, to expose the yeah. problems on the other side. Um, and what I think is interesting about that is in the world we're in right now, yes, uh, left-leaning media is one to, to discuss a lot all the things that Trump says – and so those messages mm-hmm. certainly do get out to the people when they might have been ignored or silenced before because a lot of media thinks that what they're doing is proving the terribleness of the person that they obviously hate, the Trump derangement syndrome people obviously hate. And yet it's allowing that message to have a bigger um, megaphone. And here's the last thing I'll say about uh, Rush, why I thought about Rush um, in response to this, is I saw after Rush passed away a lot of social media celebration from people that evidently hated Rush, uh, that were happy the man died, which is just a weird – it's a weird thing in our society for people to – I wouldn't be uh, celebratory. Most of them never listen to his show. Well, no. Actually, I was going to say the opposite. I, I would never be celebratory if someone, a politician that I you know, disagreed with or, or even a, a media person died. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go and celebrate it. But the thing that was most fascinating to me is the people that truly seemed to hate him would cite a bunch of different things that happened on his show almost as if they listened every day. And so in the world of media, in the world of Rush or, or Trump, in the world of politics and getting a message across, it sounds like it's the old Howard Stern uh, quote, that the people who hate you listen for twice as long as the people who love you, and they do it because they're more interested in what you're going to say. It's even the Tucker Carlson thing. They said that a large portion of his audience, maybe not the totality of it, maybe not the, the you know, um, um, the the – 50 or so percent of it, but some subset of it was actually people that utterly disagree with Tucker and couldn't stop turning him on every night. So it is interesting to think about how how easily uh, a study in the world of media would demonstrate the effectiveness of what Trump is saying there, of being more extreme for the for the simple sake of getting your message actually in places that would be unlikely to play it. If you because Tim Scott is a great example to me right now. Tim Scott is tremendously eloquent in the way in which he shapes his his argument uh, about race relations in our society and, and you know opportunity etc and yet so little of his argument is actually played anywhere then that's a great that's a great example 
because that that makes him the contemporary example to Ron Paul. Sure. Right. So you're seeing with Tim Scott what I'm talking about. On just one issue, too, right. by the way. So they don't pay attention right. to him. They're not interested. They're not no. going to elevate him. And what's crazy about that, as it's a reflection which, which of our... Which proves Trump's point that you have sure. to be loud and obnoxious. Well, and what's crazy about that in a reflection of our society as it exists right now, Tim Scott is a black man. And so right. most people uh, that want to shout down one message and shout up another one will say, you're not allowed to talk about this because you don't know what it's like to, to experience certain things because you're not um, black. I'm, I'm a white guy. I'm not allowed to have an opinion. Tim Scott apparently is not allowed to have an opinion, yeah. which is the most confusing position uh, that some media well, he takes do- on he this. he doesn't fit the template. Right, even though he, he wins that very first um, bar of access to some of these conversations. Uh, we, we definitely took way too long uh, debating that very first thing. Can you stay again? I always ask sure. you to stay. Okay, sure. Because I want to play the challenges that Brett Baer played to Trump, because anyone that thinks this was a softball interview uh, that Trump, um, you know, took certain questions and just said, I can't answer that, can't talk about it. That's not true. Uh, there are some moments that I don't think uh, Trump, um, quote unquote, won as far as the back and forth conversation goes. But I, I have to stress, and I'm sure you would agree with this, Mark, that this is atypical of politicians to sit down, to be given questions like this, and to answer questions like the ones I'm going to play in just a bit, because most People in the world of politics, Democrat and Republican, refuse in these moments of, wow, the way you just uh, put that challenges me a lot, a lot more than I was expecting, especially if you go on a platform that you think leans with you. Uh, Although I would also say I'm not sure that Trump would think Fox leans with him anymore. He's been quite critical of Fox uh, quite often. So quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470. 100.3 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, Mark Strauss, TV guy on the radio, hanging out with me. Uh, before I start getting into this audio, uh, these are moments where Brett Baer um, challenged former President Trump, especially in an ongoing uh, federal case, uh, 37 counts uh, against uh, the former president that he says is is crap and continue to say was crap on TV. Uh, but even his lawyers probably would have asked him not to talk about stuff the way that he talked about stuff. And yet I think that's a good thing. I think it's a cool thing. But what's your opinion of Brett Baer before I play any of this audio? Um, you know, I have to tell you, and and you may be disappointed in hearing this, but uh, I, this is one of those guilt by association, not maybe through his fault. Sure. He was the guy that went on the air on the night of the 2020 election and announced to the country that at 7:05 or 7:10 in the evening, yeah. Arizona had gone for Biden. Had gone for Biden. Yeah. And because he was the messenger, I thought it's a little too early for a western state to be announcing who the winner of their presidential election is, and so I associated him with that. I I all I used to like him quite a bit. Uh, I don't dislike him. I think he's very good at what he did. Mm-hmm. His profile rose tremendously, and so did Fox's during the twenty, uh, the two thousand recount, sure. the, the Bush Gore recount, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, the hang chats. And he was he was very very out front as an investigative reporter and an on the scene reporter mm-hmm. at that time, and so uh, his profile. Uh, rose rapidly, and yeah. I always had a very high opinion of him, also because he worked with Britt Hume, who I have a very high regard for. Sure. Uh, Britt Hume used to be at ABC News before he went over to Fox. And so I'm a little confused about uh, Brett Baer. 
sure. in terms of – Well, that that's actually not disappointing um, and um, uh, kind of what I thought you might say. Uh, not and again, I mean, specifically, it's probably but, but here's, silly because he was the messenger and here's, he, he wasn't compiling the information. Here's the reason I say that that is even more important. I think that if you're um, – Someone on the left, if you're if you're a liberal, uh, you think of Fox News as a specific kind of thing, and you think that anything and everything they say on Fox, I think it's very similar to the way a conservative or, or someone who's not that side of the aisle, the liberal side, would think about going on MSNBC. Uh, going and sitting on this platform as a politician on the left is easy. Uh, they're not going to ask you any difficult questions. Jen Psaki, I think, took a jog. Uh, with uh, Cory Booker or someone, and asked him about his workout routine. Well, that's, an, that's another thing, by the way. These yeah. these people who work for an administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephanopoulos has always been a, a, a great example to me. This guy helped get Bill Clinton elected and then was a, a, an advisor who gets placed, in, in yeah. the White House, and he gets placed onto the biggest weekly news program and is one of the highest-profile people at ABC News. To say that journalists are impartial or sure. try to be impartial, um, first of all, he's doing a disservice to actual journalists. Sure, I like agree. Peop- yeah. Like people in your newsroom, yeah. TJ, yeah. Will, mm-hmm. Julia. Those people are doing a great disservice to actual journalists because mm-hmm. what happens is people don't believe. Yeah, not those people, by the way, I want to make the clarification. You're not talking about my newsroom. No, you're, you're saying my newsroom is I'm, being hurt they're by. They're being done a right, disservice. By the other guys. Because there's no way that somebody like myself can watch George Stephanopoulos and believe a single thing that comes out of his mouth. Well, so that's my point in asking you what you think about Brett Baer. So uh, Trump certainly probably has well, his Brett own Baer, opinion. Brett Baer doesn't fit into the George Stephanopoulos. No, I, I know. I'm, I'm not saying he does. But but even more so, a valuable decision to sit down and talk to someone but who is likely to challenge But they give shows, right. like you said, so, Jen Psaki. So I, I do think that there are a lot on the left that will dismiss the idea that Trump sat down with Fox News to have a conversation at all. They won't pay attention to it. They won't listen to any of this audio. They won't. They won't care. They'll think it was too easy, too whatever. And I think that's hilarious uh, in just one easy way. That means you didn't actually watch it. You didn't pay attention to any of the things said uh, because I think this is the most anyone in journalism would have challenged someone who his own legal team probably would have told not to do this interview. Uh, Even after earlier in the day on um, on Monday yesterday, the court said do not tell people about the things going on in this court case. Trump did it anyway. Brett Baer did it anyway. And Brett Baer seemed shocked at the answers Trump gave to questions. But this was uh, one of the bigger viral moments, one of the the left media loving it kind of moments of this, if they paid attention at all again, as I said, uh, where Brett went through all of the different cabinet officials uh, that Trump appointed during his first term as president and um, talked about the relationship today, and a lot of them, not good. Here we go. 16, you said that. I'm going to surround myself with only the best and most serious people. Well, I did do that. This and we time, had tremendous. Look, we had the best economy we've ever had. This the world time, has ever seen. Your vice president, Mike Pence, is running against you. Yeah. Your ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, she's running against you. Your former secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, said he's not supporting you. You mentioned National Security Advisor John Bolton. He's not supporting you either. You mentioned Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, says you shouldn't be president again. Uh, calls you the consummate narcissist and troubled man. You recently called and uh, Barr a, a gutless pig. Uh, you're 
second defense secretary is not supporting you, called you irresponsible. This week, you and your White House called your White House chief of staff, John Kelly, weak and ineffective and born with a very small brain. You called your acting White House chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, a born loser. You called your first secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, dumb as a rock. And your first defense secretary, James Mattis, the world's most overrated general. You called your White House press secretary, Kayla Kennedy, milquetoast. And multiple times, you've referred to your transportation secretary, Elaine Chao, as Mitch McConnell's China-loving wife. So, why? I, I'll stop. I'll let uh, Trump give his answer to the question. But if anyone anywhere who's um, listening to this show thought that Fox News and Brett Baer went um, light on Trump, that is proof that they did not. Here is how Trump responded to that question, that list, a minute-long list of people that Trump appointed places uh, that currently are in no way, shape, or form supporters of his. Why did you hire all of them in the first place? Because I hired 10 to 1 that were fantastic. We had a great economy. We had phenomenal people in charge of the economy. We had phenomenal people in the military. I'm not a fan of Millie, and I'm not a fan of certain of the television people. But I knocked <laughs> out ISIS. I defeated ISIS. They said, Mattis... It would take three years, and I don't think we can do it. I did it in a period of, like, four weeks. There's a lot of people who praise you for your policies. I just said that. That's true. Well, I mean, you just went through a list. But don't forget, for every one you say, I had ten that love us. And one thing happens... Uh, Here, that's uh, pretty much the end of the clip there. Um, What do you say in response to that, the the back-and-forth conversation uh, with Trump, where um, Brett Baer goes through a significant list of people, uh, that all of which would be no fan of Trump now? Well, uh, I, I Trump was the president, so he knows how many people. It, it's not just one person running a department. Sure, there are departments there that Brett Baer doesn't mention. He doesn't mention the Energy Department. He doesn't mention the Department of Education. No, nope. he doesn't mention the Department of Agriculture. He doesn't nope. mention uh, a lot of things. So, you know, well, and that's what Trump said. I don't he goes ha- 10 I, to 1. I don't. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 10 well, to 1. There are people that like me. All that right. You know, I like to use list. real life. Sure. All of us who've been doing whatever we've been doing, and I, I'm talking about people at home and whatever business. Sure. Most people. If you were sitting across from somebody like that, who had the background to say, well, uh, you don't. You didn't get along with this person at your former employment, yeah. or you didn't get along with this person when you went to school, or yeah. you and this teacher when you were in college. Right. So you can put a list together about anybody. Sure. The difference is uh, Trump hired them. Um, I think that's what Brett Baer is getting but at. You know, is that you say that you're going to build the best team, yeah. and you put these people in these positions as the person at the top. That's I, I people that I disagree with <clears throat> at jobs that I've worked at are usually not people I hire. You know, I remember uh, when Bill Clinton was the president. There were people going through his administration in certain areas like a revolving door. Sure, yeah. And the media didn't scrutinize that. They just reported that this person's leaving and this person is taking their place. And we don't know the circumstances. Same thing could be said probably about any administration. No, I I agree with you. But again, and I'm not trying to defend Trump here. No, we don't know. Right. Any of the background. The real demonstration here is that this interview was far from easy. Uh, Let's play the other thing. Another thing that definitely went viral where Brett Baer is actually reading from the indictment at one point. Uh, This is the thing that uh, Dershowitz, that several people have said is the most damaging potentially charge against Trump. And if you don't know what the charge is, and you should probably figure it out uh, during the audio, but I'll tell you as well, 
there is an accusation that Trump was sitting uh, in Bedminster with a few people, including a reporter of some kind, holding a document and admitting that it was not declassified, that he could have declassified it but didn't. Um, and people have said that that document is something specific to a, a conflict in Iran. However, I don't know that Trump actually says that that's what the document specifically is about. Uh, but even more importantly, within the indictment, it says that the reason Trump was talking about the document with a reporter is he thought it it um, demonstrated a, a falsehood that media or someone had told about him. It was proof that that wasn't true, which I think is interesting and might come up in court all on its own. Uh, but here is that back and forth. I don't want to dwell on it, but according to the indictment, you were here at Bedminster on July 21st, 2021, after you're no longer president. And you were recorded saying that you had a document detailing a plan of attack on another country that was prepared by the U.S. military for you when you were president, the Iran attack plan. You remember that? Ready? You were recorded. It wasn't a document. Okay. I had lots of paper. I had copies of newspaper articles. I had copies of magazines. I know. This I is specifically a quote. You're quoted and, on the know, recording saying the document was secret, adding that you could have declassified it while you were president, but, quote, now I can't. You know this is still secret, highly confidential. And the indictment cites the recording and the testimony from people in the room saying you showed it to people there that day. So you say on this on tape it says just the opposite. that you can't and, declassify and it, so you, why have it? What I said, when I said that I couldn't declassify it now, that's because I wasn't president. I, I never made any bones about that. When I'm not president, I can't declassify it. And that's what you said. You didn't said declassify that. it. I, I said, no, no. I said I couldn't declassify could it. that wasn't a document, it. Brett. There was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else talking about Iran and other things. And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. Here's what's interesting to me about that. I'm sure a lot of people will hear that answer and think, oh, man, that's so evasive uh, what Trump is saying there. Uh, at some point in an actual courtroom, I hope it comes out what, as best as we can uh, be told what it is, uh, the document he's holding is, um, because he is referencing uh, right there, and he goes on to say even further that it was not just an attack plan on Iran like media is talking about it being. It is, in fact, something else. And so even the wording that is public in the indictment seems to demonstrate that there's a likelihood of truth to that because Trump was not specific about a certain conflict, not specific about exactly what the thing he's holding is. And he does say that it exonerated him in some way from a media narrative. Uh, so I, I, I think that's a tremendously interesting back and forth. But the number one question anyone with their salt would have asked Trump uh, if you got to sit down with him today. And the number one question that his own attorneys would say, don't answer this. And there it is right there um, back and forth for people to judge however they want uh, to think whatever they want from it. Uh, what's your reaction? To that? Was was Trump saying and, and I, maybe you don't have the answer to this and I don't think you do have the answer to this. So my question is, was Trump saying I was holding up a piece of paper just by the way he was trying to explain it, that it wasn't the actual document, but he was describing a document that he now could no longer declassify so that he wasn't talking about something that he was but he was holding was he holding something up uh, as a gesture to illustrate his point, but he, it wasn't the actual document itself? He, in that answer right there, said he was holding up much more than one thing. Um, so so uh, by Trump's own admission, he was holding up a collection of papers yeah. as opposed to one paper. If any of those paper, per papers excuse me, were or were not a classified document, I'm sure that's the thing you're asking. I'm sure yeah. that's going to get figured out in court. I, I don't know uh, that that and is he's not an answer anyone's given you. Interestingly to me, he's yeah. not tipping his hand on that. He's being 
perhaps purposely vague. Sure. Yeah, I understand that. But but what he's saying is that it's a collection of things. And the collection of things is more interesting to me than the one document because the narrative right now, as Brett provided it uh, there for that back and forth, was that you were holding up one classified document uh, that was about a specific conflict in Iran. And Trump has pushed back on almost every aspect of that, that um, you know, uh, that uh, description of what happened, including, as you said, whether or not that's the document he's put. But he's holding up a collection of paper it sounded, for whatever reason. I don't know. It sounded like. Sure. I, under, I understand what you're saying is that maybe he, he was just using it as an example and they had nothing to do with. saying that yeah. it wasn't the actual document. I mean, if you read the indictment, which I've done, he says this when he's holding up whatever he's holding up. This document. Uh, those are the words that might be on a tape that I haven't yeah. heard yet that might be played in court. So whether or not that that's something that is or isn't uh, provable. I don't know. Um, but it, it is interesting because he's referring to this as he's supposed to be holding up. But he says a collection of things. And so I don't think he's holding up a collection of all classified documents as he's talking. So I don't I don't know. Um, oh, so was he holding up the document itself or was he holding up because we've heard about these uh empty folders that say sure. classified on them, but they don't have anything in them. Sure. No. So again, I, I can't answer, as you said. I, I don't no, know No, I know answer. you don't have the answer. Um, but, I'm just, I'm just, but the, I'm trying to figure out what exactly he means in his answer. The indictment does say the words this. And so it, it feels like yeah. a, what does the sure. definition of is, yeah. is uh, mean? Uh, but we'll see. Uh, one last thing. I want to play this. I think this is interesting too. Uh, this is uh, probably the least talked about in some places, um, controversial back and forth between Trump and Brett Baer. Uh, it devolves into being about the 2020 election, although I don't think that was the goal of the question when Brett asked it. But I'll play this, too, because uh, I want to play every single aspect of this back and forth uh, challenging conversation on Fox with the former president as he's going through. I can't stress this enough. A court battle where everyone around him would tell him not to do an interview this wide ranging, and he did one anyway. What do you say to that female independent suburban voter who feels that way to win her back? First of all, I won in 2020 by a lot, okay? You Let's know, get that straight. I won in 2020. You know that this, and if you look at all of the tapes, if the you look at shows. everything that you want to look at, you take a look at Truth to Vote, where they have people stuffing the ballot boxes on tapes, or let's go to recent. Well, wait a minute. Let's go to recent. FBI Twitter. Let's go to recent. The 51 agents. All corrupt stuff, Brett. Understand about the all, Hunter Biden. Well, no, but that's cheating on the election. But that's cheating on the election. You lost the 2020 election. Uh, Brett, uh, you take a look at all of the stuffed ballots. You take a look at all of the things, including things like the 51 intelligence there were, agents. There were recounts in all of the swing states. There was not significant right, widespread We're trying fraud. to get recounts, real recounts, not just numbers of votes Widespread cast. corruption, there was not a sense of that. There were lawsuits, more than 50 of them, by your lawyers, some in front of Freddy, judges, Freddy. judges that you appointed. Look at Wisconsin. That came out with Wisconsin no evidence. So it keeps going back and forth for a little bit, and eventually Trump says one of the things we actually need to do in these recounts is check the validity of a ballot, not the existence of a ballot, uh, which is a, a point that comes back and forth. But anyway, that's about a minute and three seconds of a back and forth debate as to whether or not the 2020 election was stolen with Fox News, who, again, I think if you're on a certain side of the political aisle, the left, uh, you would have written this entire conversation off as a as a softball interview. And it was anything other uh, than softball. Well, they, what 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 somebody might say who opposes Trump mm -hmm. and who doesn't like Fox is that they gave him a platform to say all of these things and reiterate points that they disagree with in order to get them out in the public. I mean, it, you can take whatever 
perspective you come from sure. and apply it to this interview the sure. way you want to apply it. Sure. But the thing that I think is most interesting, at least in the way in which I'm trying to set up the, the argument I'm making here, is that if you just dismissed the idea that Trump sat down with Fox because you thought to yourself, of course, it's like sitting down with MSNBC if you're um, yeah. a Democrat – that's not what occurred. Um, and many, many people, uh, whether he hurt or helped himself in his own legal fight against the government, uh, would say that they are, are surprised well, I that mean, Trump did. And, and again, and this is what I said from the start, these are the kind of politicians we want. We want people who are willing to answer questions, discuss things, and then we need to pay attention to the answers they provide and decide whether or not we believe them. That gives us the ability to make informed decisions about who we vote for. Right. Most politicians don't want you to have informed decisions. No. Trump allowed you to have as informed on his positions as you could possibly have at the worst possible time for him legally. He still did this. He's not afraid to tell you what he thinks. No. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. No, he and, even and, said he's not afraid to go to jail. And remember... He went on CNN with Caitlin Collins yes. for that town hall, yes. which they cut short by several minutes. Yes, and right. and uh, so he's not he's not afraid yeah. to go into hostile territory. And my favorite thing you just said about that is, and they cut it off by several minutes. Yeah. Um, they had timed for I think like twelve, fifteen additional minutes, and they even gave themselves more space. Wasn't where it supposed gone, to go ninety minutes? Well, and... it, it could have gone like forty-five or forty. Yes. So typically it goes sixty, and then the other thirty is the breakdown after the yeah. fact. But you give yourself 90 because you can go the whole 90, and they went under 60. My favorite thing about that, just real quick, I'm late, i got to take a break, is that people were saying that all the um, audience members that wanted to challenge Trump didn't get an opportunity to ask questions because the event took too long and it ended early. And that is not even close to what is likely to be the case because CNN ended it. Uh, they, they weren't waiting for people in the wings that wanted to say negative things to Trump uh, that didn't get their opportunity to ask questions into the microphone. Well, All the questions were, were seemed to be very favorable and, and people yeah. that seemed to support Trump. They, I don't think they were comfortable with the audience. No, I don't think so which, either. Which, for the most part, Supported Trump. Was, right. Yeah. Right, which is what I thought was Trump. hilarious that the narrative then emerged that people weren't given the chance to ask their challenging questions right. and they wanted to ask them well, because CNN was the one that ended it, not Trump, not anyone else. Quick break. we got to go uh, a lot more. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thank you again for Mark Strauss, TV guy on the radio, uh, hanging out with us. After 5 o'clock for the top five at five, I will be playing some of that audio again of uh, former President Trump sitting down with Brett Baer of Fox News uh, for what I thought was a very thorough, wide-ranging, and at times challenging conversation uh, that the former president agreed to at a time when most of his legal experts would have told him not to. And I'll just keep saying it on the air. And I don't care if when I play it, I'm not. A, it's not actually my, my intention to have you think a certain thing of Trump and the answers he gave. I'm not trying to tell you how Trump is innocent or guilty. Uh, what I'm telling you is that as a society, as a, a voting um, you know, public, we want politicians that give answers. They're, they might be lies, they might be the truth, but give answers to questions, not hide within the, well, that's being, um, that's already uh, a court thing that's going, an ongoing uh, investigation, so I can't comment to that or, or comment with this department. You want people that actually say the things they think it helps you be informed about the politicians themselves. Uh, Trump is a unique animal in his willingness to do that and to, um, you know, uh, go up against the press as opposed to hide from the press, which is what our current president does very, very often. Uh, the other thing that's a big deal um, in some circles 
and then utterly dismissed in other circles, which is sort of uh, amusing. And, and it's true of a lot of things, I guess, in our society now. The right says something's important and the left says it's not important and no one should pay attention and it doesn't matter and they're crazy. And then the left says something and the right will have the same response to some things the left says. They're crazy. They're shouting and their shouting doesn't matter. Don't listen. Uh, there is nothing there there. Um, but I do think that this is fascinating. So Hunter Biden got a sweetheart deal. Uh, according to conservatives, according to Democrats, I think CNN, I think MSNBC, I think The View, uh, Hunter Biden got the hardest of slaps in the faces that you could possibly get for having an illegal firearm, uh, something you should not have. It's a felony charge, and he'll wind up getting that completely removed from his record uh, by participating in a program. If I, I should say this, too, if the, the deal is actually respected by the judge, the judge in that case could decide to um, uh, actually hold Hunter more responsible for the counts against him. He will plead guilty uh, to counts of of not doing his taxes right, uh, taxes that, according to left-leaning media, he's already paid back, so no harm, no foul. I wonder if that were true, if it were Trump that were trying to say something to the effect of, hey, those things that we got wrong in the world of the Manhattan case and my my business um, um things, my business records, if I just go ahead and give money back, can we be no harm, no foul like Hunter? Uh, the answer is probably no uh, with the um, Manhattan case there. And even so, proving that it was Trump who had anything to do with that, uh, also going to be very interesting, I think, for them. Uh, but the thing that's most significant about the Hunter Biden case to me is the counts that were not even charged uh, against Hunter Biden, including, well, um, business um, types of, of mistakes that Hunter made uh, that he was not even, again, challenged with. To only have two or three counts against you after years-long investigation where you did things like buy a gun you shouldn't have bought uh, because you're someone who was uh, addicted to cocaine and other drugs and you lied on a document saying you didn't do drugs. And I'm sure everybody that's not the son of a president gets away scot-free when they do that, just like the uh, son of a president uh, will get away with it, uh, again, if that deal holds up. But it, it's those things that he's not charged with in the first place. When you see Trump charged with 37 counts or, or however many ridiculous counts it is in Manhattan, and you think as you read through those indictments that it's the same thing over and over and over again, a just slightly different moment. It's almost as if they wait for the uh, second hand or the, the minute hand on the clock to change, and they charge him with the same thing all over again. And if Hunter only charged with a few things in and of itself – uh, may prove some sort of disproportionate version of, of the judicial system attacking some and, and being nice to others. Uh, but here's what Speaker McCarthy said on the totality of this, of course, calling it a sweetheart deal. Again, uh, something that the right is saying a lot of and the left is saying, how dare you, sir? Uh, Hunter Biden is being punished for the crimes he committed by getting absolutely no time in jail, absolutely no um, real um, um, you know, punishment for the felony um, weapons charge. Uh, and actually very, very little punishment for the tax evasion charges, because that's basically time already served, uh, according to those uh, that are doing this sweetheart deal. But here we go. The Hunter Biden plea deal and your reaction. My first reaction is it continues to show the two-tier system in America. If you are the president's leading political opponent, the DOJ tries to literally put you in jail and give you prison time. If you are the president's son, you get a sweetheart deal. Now, this does nothing to our investigation. It actually should enhance our investigation because the DOJ should not be able to withhold any information now saying that because of pending investigation, they should be able to provide Chairman Comer with any 
information that yeah that is very interesting to me that once this is completed and once hunter biden actually pleads guilty uh, to any of these charges at all uh that if you're the oversight committee or any sort of investigative committee uh as far as politicians go uh, there would be no real reason for anyone uh that works on this case or anyone with the fbi or anywhere else to say hey you aren't entitled to these documents anymore uh, this has already been figured out in court uh, and by the way, a lot of people are saying that this is this over now. Hunter can move on with his life, including his lawyers who prop, popped up on, oh, yeah, surprising MSNBC to talk about it. Here's one of the things Hunter's lawyers said and one of the um, questions uh, that MSNBC thought was relevant to ask them. Do you have an idea of what the conditions are going to be? Is he going to be on probation? Uh, it's up to the court. Um, my expectation, at least with regard to after that proceeding, is he'll be released with without conditions. Um but, you know, what the ultimate disposition of the case is, is going to be up to the judge. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that he's released without any sort of um, um, any kind of punishment whatsoever, any sort of, um, uh, you know, requirements. He'll just to get to live his life and do whatever he wants to do and uh, not paying taxes and getting money from weird places and having a gun you shouldn't have. All those things are totally fine. All those things are OK. Um, here's one more of what the uh, lawyer said on the MSNBC interview. The prosecutors are not asking for jail time. Are you concerned that the judge here might freelance? Um, I, th- <laughs> I love the way that's asked, by the way. Are you concerned that the judge here might freelance? Uh, the only way you could make that sound any more ridiculous. Are you concerned the judge is going to go insane and try to actually charge Hunter Biden uh, with any sort of or provide Hunter Biden with any sort of punishment for the crimes he's pleading guilty to? I think, you know, look, there there are documents that haven't been publicly released yet. I think people have reported what the product prosecutors are asking for. I think you have to wait till the court proceeding happens to know. But, you know, I think the judge is going to do what's fair. And I think what's fair is, you know, my client gets on with his life. What is fair, sir, is that my client gets to make this mistake, this one-time mistake that he's never made before, and get forgiven for his mistake and move on. Uh, and that is the only thing that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, I can't imagine that that's not something that Trump's legal team is asking for, too, in any scenario where they think he's been proven guilty. And I know they're not the same thing. I know what Hunter Biden is accused of is not the same as keeping classified documents. I just think it's interesting that these two things are playing out at the same time, uh, that you have uh, Trump being gone, especially in New York, in Manhattan, more so than the federal charges against Trump. Uh, the federal charges against Trump, the more valuable whataboutism uh, talks about other politicians like Hillary Clinton, like even uh, Mike Pence, like our current president, uh, which people might get annoyed by and say those are totally different things. That's fine. Uh, The more valuable world in the Hunter Biden versus Trump as far as uh, the unfairness in our judicial system uh, really comes into play with what Trump is accused of doing as far as um, not putting the right information uh, into um, his his accounting software uh, for his company when he gave a hush money payment or um, allegedly uh, gave a hush money payment to someone um, or his lawyer just decided to do that on his own, Michael Cohen, uh, that case. And then what uh, Hunter Biden did, tax evasion, uh, lying about certain um, income on his company um, that he didn't actually get in trouble for whatsoever, not even charged with. They're, they're very similar financial crimes. And so it's interesting that you actually have a literal whataboutism playing out for both of the judicial challenges to the former president as he is a leading candidate on the Republican side of the aisle uh, to become uh, the nominee. Um, and so he is the, the true competitor right now uh, to uh, current President Biden, uh, which is all stuff you already know. Uh, I want to play one other thing 
And I talked about this a lot yesterday, and this is a very different topic. Uh, this is about China. This is about Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, who went over and visited and got a, um, as I keep describing it, and I saw reporting on this, although maybe some people think it's not true, and that's fine. It is what it is. A last-minute meeting with Xi Jinping that the president in China did not want to meet with him, uh, but eventually decided to meet with uh, Antony Blinken and then scolded him, and that's even CNN's words, not mine, on how that, that the tone of that meeting went. Uh, but this was interesting. This is after he is done with those conversations, and Nightly News asks him simplistically about the spy balloon. Uh, something that is a valuable talking point as far as just how how provocative uh, China has got in not caring about making us mad, not caring about invading our our airspace, not caring about spying on us blatantly. All of those things uh, essentially acting as though they don't give a crap about our relationship with them whatsoever. And then when you go there and you're the secretary of state, they tell you, you guys better care about us more and treat us better. America's been the problem all along here and just ignore anything uh, that's on, on their side. Uh, and this is what Blinken said in response to all of it. The Chinese spy balloon flying over our country is all water under the bridge. So with Beijing, the balloon incident is over. Water under the bridge? We did what we needed to do to protect our interests. We said what we needed to say and made clear what we needed to make clear in terms of this not happening again. And so uh, as long as it doesn't, that uh, that chapter should be closed. <laughs> that chapter is closed. Uh, we basically forgive you as long as you don't do anything similar to what you do again uh, that you do all over the world, not just in the United States. You know what this reminds me of, uh, what this feels most reminiscent of? is when uh, the Biden administration, specifically, specifically the vice president, says no one else better cross our border illegally. The border is closed. Go home. And then we keep seeing people cross the border illegally uh, that don't care at all about the words you just said. China doesn't care at all about the words they say to us or the words we say to them. Uh, their actions will always speak volumes compared to their words. And I absolutely believe, and you can write this down, 6 uh, 4.50 uh, p.m., uh, or 4.49 p.m., um, that China will do something just like the spy balloon again in the somewhat near future and then tell us that it's it's not a thing and we don't need to care about it because it's how they operate. It's how they operate well beyond their relationship with us. It's their relationship with everyone. Uh, their government uh, doesn't seem to care about much of anything. And the best demonstration of that, and I feel like a broken record for saying it, and maybe people don't care anymore, is how they handled not just the United States and our lack of demand, for certain information, but the World Health Organization and, and literally every country in the world, as far as giving transparency to any sort of um, um, relevant scientific data they have about COVID, they, they still have refused to provide that to anyone. So that country and its leaders are unlikely to do anything valuable in the world of, hey, stop flying spy balloons. Okay, you got us. You caught us. We'll stop. We're done with that entirely. Um, I highly, highly doubt that's the way this will go. Quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Top five at five uh, coming up in about 10 minutes or so, uh, 12 minutes. That's the top five stories of the day, according to me. Uh, right now is other stuff uh, that I want to talk about. I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, a guy went viral. Well, a girl telling a story uh, went viral on social media. Uh, a woman's name. The woman's name is Cat. She said that she put up a, a dating profile about her dog. Uh, she said that anyone that dates her has to impress her dog first, 
And so a guy responded and said, hey, I'd like to take you and the dog out on a date. I will go to a, a dog park or somewhere that's dog friendly. And she goes, no, 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 no. You need to send in a resume and all the qualifications you think are valuable to my dog. And if the dog likes it, uh, the dog will decide we're going on a date with you. So the guy did it. Uh, I don't know if that's a level of desperate to some. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, he said that some of his qualifications that would matter is that he's a, a shepherd of sheepdogs. I guess the dog is a sheepdog. He is a tail wag uh, an analyst, so he knows what the tail wagging means at all times. He is the gold standard in Golden Retriever Guidance, and also has a high endurance for games of fetch and the like. Uh, all reasons that she said she is likely to go on a date with him. I do love the way the video ends, though. At some point, she says the last thing she's now doing is a deep dive of his social media accounts, including his professional one at LinkedIn, uh, to make sure that he's the right guy for her to go on a date with. Um, I, I haven't been on a date in a long time. Uh, my wife and I have been married for more than 10 years. Uh, we met at a time when dating apps were popular, but not like the only way people dated or dating websites. And so I don't understand all the struggle uh, that is this whole situation for these two uh, people involved. But I think she's doing a disservice to herself in the first date by knowing a whole bunch about him going in. Because then you just pretend. Then then the most interesting stuff in getting to know some is someone is still boring because you already know it all and you have to pretend you don't. So I think that's wrong. I think he did what you asked him to do in the world of uh, giving you a resume specific to your dog. And that it's it's uh, date time. But that's a story that went viral out there in the world. Another one, uh, this woman went to one of my favorite places on social media or on the Internet. Uh, Reddit's Am I the Bleep or Am I the Jerk is what I describe it as. Uh, she said she just gave birth out of their first child five months ago, and she's on maternity leave. And she said her husband is being disrespectful, uh, saying things like, you get to stay at home all day and lounge around uh, when she's at home with the brand-new five-month-old baby. Uh, all the time. And uh, people have thoughts on what she said. She said the one thing that the husband does uh, when he gets home from work, and she admitted that her husband works very hard uh, for their family to support them, uh, but he also cooks all the food, uh, that she's a terrible cook, so he does all the cooking. And then he relaxes, takes a nap, falls asleep on the couch, all that kind of stuff. And she said, I don't feel like I'm, I'm not doing any work because I'm with the baby all the time. I'm the one putting the baby to sleep. I'm the one that gets up if the baby cries in the middle of the night. I'm the one raising our brand new child more than the husband is. Uh, but because he does uh, the cooking and he works the job, uh, he is not understanding the level of sacrifice she's making. And people, as I said, had feelings. A lot of people accuse the husband of, quote, gaslighting uh, the, the wife. Um, I, I'll say this. I've never raised a kid. We don't have any kids, so I can't totally fathom, although I definitely have a lot of friends that have gone through it. And when you go out, when you go out with a new uh, parent or new parents uh, for anything, like you grab brunch with them or something, the look in their faces tells you all you need to know about how hard it is to raise kids. So I don't think the husband's wrong to describe her as, as getting a break from work as she's on maternity leave for a year. Uh, but I also do think it's interesting uh, the way that so many bashed the, the husband on social media as he's choosing to not do the maternity leave thing that people talk about now and just uh, going and working and, and providing for the family. So I feel like it's a little bit of, of all involved are, are stressed and, and the fight is probably in places it doesn't need to be. And uh, the woman, of course, did the right thing. I'm being sarcastic when I say this and turned to social media uh, for answers to who's good and who's bad in her relationship. Didn't talk it out with the husband, or at least if she did talk it out a little bit, uh, decided to go ahead and, and point to uh, the answers of complete strangers uh, to win the argument. She said it's the worst fight they've ever been in uh, in their relationship. I would just say this, though. If uh, my wife and I had a kid and then my wife wound up staying home all the time with the kid, I would never, never, never think or never um, um, say anything to the effect 
of that job isn't incredibly hard. Um, I know that, as I said, because friends of mine that have kids and also um, my mom, who raised four kids all by herself, uh, definitely not an easy gig uh, day in and day out. So I think the husband has made mistakes uh, that he probably needs to um, to apologize for. All right, quick break. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff to talk about, as I say all the time. Uh, it's top five at five time right now. The first of the top five stories, uh, just quickly, and I'll talk more uh, Trump, more Brett Baer, more politics uh, in a second. Uh, but a U.S. judge, uh, the same U.S. judge, the district judge, uh, who people said was going to be too lenient, too kind uh, to Trump in this uh, federal trial, on the mishandling of classified documents has set a court date that is insane. It's August 14th, uh, so it's very, very soon. Um, and I've seen all kinds of arguments as to the benefit, who wins in the world of almost no time to prepare for this thing. Uh, the more um, simplistic answer to that, the more, I think, logical answer to that is that it would benefit prosecution and not Trump, as it gives very little time for his defense to build the best possible defense out of the case that is um, what they were going to accuse him of in court. However, uh, getting this out of the way now, one way or the other, however it's going to play out, might actually benefit Trump as far as being able to run his presidential um, campaign uh, with this behind him, as opposed to this being something uh, that is restricting what he says in public uh, or potentially trying to restrict what he says in public uh, or even something that's taking up a lot of his time because sentencing for whatever the decision would be would still be down the road and could probably be delayed uh, quite a bit and quite easily uh, by saying things like, well, he's the leading candidate on the Republican side of the aisle for the presidential nomination. It, it seems like if we don't want to have interference in our election, uh, that whenever this case were to end, the federal case, the one that's, uh, I think, much more um, something where Trump might not beat it. Um, uh, and a lot of people say it's something where Trump is going to struggle more than the Manhattan case, although certainly a lot of people admit that it seems unfair or unique prosecution, that it's only Trump going through this and not any of the other people that had classified documents himself. But anyway, uh, to get this over with sooner rather than later might actually at the end of the day benefit uh, the former president, which is it's hard to believe. I'm not sure that I, I, I accept that as a truth because uh, you'd think you'd want as much time as possible to build the best possible defense for yourself uh, for these accusations. But the the judge who's supposed to be Trump friendly uh, set up a court date that is is rapid uh, and who benefits from it is easily still up for debate. Another thing out there in the world that I think is interesting and I guess uh, somewhat political uh, in nature, uh, certainly uh, the politicians are involved here, the accounting error. Uh, that's being talked about and the amount of support that's gone to Ukraine. Uh, you probably remember this story. Uh, there was an accounting error that was first mentioned uh, a while ago, uh, maybe about, about a month or so ago, uh, that said that we could actually send three billion more dollars of support because we miscalculated. Uh, we forgot to carry the two or whatever it is we forgot to do there. Uh, that's at least the claim of the government. So more aid, totally fine, already approved of. No one needs to vote on anything. No one needs to even be consulted. You should barely even be paying attention. Uh, go look at the shiny object over there. Uh, well, apparently that accounting error is even worse than we thought it was, again, according to the politicians. It's now about twice what they told us it was the first time. Uh, here is part of that announcement from the Pentagon. Following up from um, some announcements earlier this year, during the department's regular oversight of our execution of presidential drawdown authority for Ukraine, we discovered inconsistencies in equipment valuation for Ukraine. In a significant number of cases, services used replacement costs rather than net book value 
thereby overestimating the value of the equipment drawn down from U.S. stocks and provided to Ukraine. Once we discovered this misvaluation, the comptroller reissued guidance on March 31st, clarifying how to value equipment in line with the financial management uh, and DOD policy to ensure we use the most accurate – got to. Got to use the most accurate we data. We confirmed that for FY23, the final calculation is $3.6 billion, and for FY22, it is $2.6 billion for a combined total of $6.2 billion. These valuation errors in no way limit or restricted the size of any of our PDAs. Oh, my God. I got to stop it there. I got to stop it there. So we can send $6 billion of more aid. You know the reason why? And this is very uh, layman. This is very a guy who just barely thinks he understands this. And so 309-340-4464 is the phone number if you want to text me and tell me how I'm an idiot and I'm wrong. 309-340-4464. But a, a vast majority of the aid that they're talking about here that, that we miscalculated the value of, it's because we already had that stuff. And so we sent that stuff to Ukraine, and then we tried to figure out a monetary value for it, and we put that on the old ledger as something that we supplied to them. We have to replace it uh, with new equipment here or with um, some form of replacement equipment here because we shouldn't just not have it. Uh, we shouldn't have our our stock of, of military equipment just go down and be missing. So if you were running a company and you gave away all of something and had to buy more, uh, you would consider the cost of what you have to spend to buy the new stuff as the cost to your company for giving away the stuff you already have. If I just rip this computer uh, out of this desk in front of me and chuck it out a window, my boss is going to tell me I cost him however many hundreds or thousands of dollars to get me a new version of this computer that I've um, flung uh, Frisbee style out my window next to me. Uh, we're not doing that anymore. We're trying to get the more accurate, uh, according to us, cost of things so we can send $6 billion more dollars uh, worth of aid and then also restock all our stuff at the higher cost, the cost we estimated in the first place. At least that's how I understand the statement she's making. Uh, this seems bad for us. It seems great for uh, Ukraine and the amount of additional support they'll get uh, and us claiming that it's just not new support. It's, it's what we owed them already. Uh, but this seems like a uniquely bad, uh, purposeful situation for us and the inevitable cost of, of giving more money uh, to that conflict and then also still uh, trying to replenish all of the things that we don't have anymore, uh, which is going to come at a different cost uh, unless we find it all on the aftermarket from somewhere. Who knows? Maybe buying it back from Ukraine. I have no idea how this is going to work. Uh, but I just love the fact that that's the pitch and then the assumption you're not supposed to be able to figure out. Uh, that is certainly a top story today. Uh, Hunter Biden, of course, a top story. I'm going to play John Carl of ABC. I like this. It's a very simple, very quick, a very easy point uh, that he makes. And, and you might even say it's unfairly edited. Uh, but it's it's the totality of what he said on this, um, at least I think in in what will matter to a lot of people um, because of how how simple and matter of fact it is um, and how very, very little of this is being talked about on the left in reaction to the Hunter Biden sweetheart deal. He insisted, he said, as recently as last month, my son did nothing wrong. Well, now his own Justice Department has entered into a, a, a plea agreement where his son has pled guilty to two crimes um, and, and, they, and has been charged with a, with a third crime, a felony. So clearly his son did something wrong. <laughs> 
I love that version of uh, Trump said that my son did nothing wrong. Or not Trump. Sorry. Excuse me. Uh, Biden. Oh, wow. That was a, a mistake. Biden said my son did nothing wrong. Our current president. And uh, apparently, according to John Carl, that's so easy. I want to play it again. Apparently, he did do stuff wrong. Shocking. How, how did any of us not figure that out? Um, and and, they, and has been charged with a, with a third crime, a felony. So clearly his son did something wrong. <laughs> and by the way, that felony charge is going to wind up uh, being totally expunged from his record as long as he shows up to some classes, um, I think, is basically what's going on there, uh, simplified on purpose. Uh, some other things out there as far as Top 5 at 5 and Hunter Biden related. Uh, his lawyers popped up, or at least a lawyer, on MSNBC. MSNBC asked about the laptop. The way in which they asked about the laptop and the answer that the lawyer gave about the Hunter Biden laptop actually, I think, would encourage more people who think the laptop conversation is important, uh, which is, I don't think, what MSNBC is trying to do or intends to do here. But I think it's fascinating, uh, this quick back and forth. Do you have any idea if um, Hunter Biden's laptop had anything to do with this investigation? Was it used? I don't. No, I don't. I mean, Have you I, ever asked about it? Um, I can't recall being asked about that it. That was a long pause, buddy. To be honest with you. Um, but there's nothing about the, the situation that's being, that's been filed that has a thing to do with the laptop. Why not? I don't know. You'd have to ask the prosecutor. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, he does go on to say that he doesn't think the laptop has any relevant information uh, about the potential for uh, wrongdoing in the world of finances and Hunter Biden and his dad, uh, his father, who was the vice president, now the president, who's referred to as the big guy in some of those communications. Uh, he also went on to say how horrible it would be for you to have your cell phone leaked. This is the lawyer for Hunter Biden uh, leaked out into the world and how uh, wrong uh, that level of insight would be and and how um, and I think even the MSNBC people say, yeah, no, we would sue uh, whoever leaked our private information again, totally disregarding whether or not there's any proof of financial wrongdoing on the laptop, a laptop they told us for a long time wasn't actually hunters and was fake and whatnot. But but just think about this. There is a a laptop out in the world that got reported on years ago and debated. And people said it's not important. It doesn't matter. It's a crazy fringe a far-right conservative conspiracy thing, and then it became a, all right, it's definitely real thing, but you invaded his privacy, and that was wrong. Hunter sued himself uh, in court. He actually already did that uh, to try to uh, go after those who who exposed his private information and shouldn't have admitting the laptop was real. That was one of the many moments uh, where it was admitted by this uh, administration or by uh, this family, by Hunter specifically. But to have no, like, no questions, the lawyer for Hunter Biden not even know why the laptop was or wasn't used. I think what MSNBC was fishing for is it wasn't used because it's not important to the case. But the lawyer gave an actual answer, uh, which was, I don't know. You have to ask the prosecution why they didn't use the laptop at all. That is fascinating uh, to me. Other top five at five uh, should go quicker now. Uh, Brett Baer sat down with Trump and had a lot of questions, a lot of back and forth. And if you dismissed the idea that Fox News sat down with Trump, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, Fox News has been critical of Trump. Trump has been critical of Fox News. Uh, this isn't a softball, easy, simple back and forth the way maybe you'd assume, say, MSNBC would sit down with Nancy Pelosi or anyone on the Democratic side of the aisle. And I can prove that uh, via several moments of audio. Uh, but this is a moment that went viral because it was Trump actually bashing Fox on Fox uh, and sort of referencing the firing of Tucker Carlson. Continuation. More independent voters watch Fox News than any other TV source. A lot less than used to watch it. They do watch. Those voters. 
<laughs> a lot less than used to watch it. They do watch it, sir. They they do watch it. Uh, they watch it more than you think they do. Uh, but here's the real moment uh, that mattered. Uh, this is the thing uh, that I think was the, the biggest challenge. And out of all the questions Trump was asked, yes, he talked about the 2020 election. Yes, he talked about um, the indictment and specific documents, specific accusations on the indictment uh, that are going to wind up being very relevant uh, when we actually do uh, get that day in court to understand what the, the truth of the accusation is and what the defense of that accusation is. But, but this moment uh, was a moment where Brett Breyer tried to demonstrate how many people Trump worked with when in office in 2016 no longer support him. And it was the I will admit this uh, easily. It was the moment where I think Trump struggled the most to give a valuable answer back. Um, and so, again, not necessarily saying you have to agree with Brett Baer and Fox. Or you have to agree with Trump and the things he says, which I'll play some of them. It just demonstrates how willing both sides were uh, Trump to sit down and have a conversation. His own lawyers would probably tell him not to have at this point. And most politicians in the system we have today would gleefully refuse to sit down and have with media and the media organization that got a chance to sit down and talk to Trump. Um, all of all of those uh, individuals, uh, the two in front of the camera and everybody behind um, decided that this was something that was important to you, uh, the, the voter. And so they gave us the thing we almost never get. Uh, actual answers to tough, tough questions. And so that's why I said again, and I'll, I'll keep saying it, that anyone who dismissed this interview because of the organization that did it, you're just not paying attention because you should be paying attention. Here we go. In 2016, you said that. I'm going to surround myself with only the best and most serious people. Well, I did do that. This and we time, had tremendous. Look, we had the best economy we've ever had. This the world time has ever seen. Your vice president, Mike Pence, is running against you. Yeah. Your ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, she's running against you. Your former secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, said he's not supporting you. You mentioned National Security Advisor John Bolton. He's not supporting you either. You mentioned Attorney General Bill Barr uh, says you shouldn't be president again. Uh, calls you the consummate narcissist and troubled man. You recently called and uh, Barr a, a gutless pig. Uh, your second defense secretary is not supporting you, called you irresponsible. This week, you and your White House called your White House chief of staff, John Kelly, weak and ineffective and born with a very small brain. You called your acting White House chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, a born loser. You called your first secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, dumb as a rock, and your first defense secretary, James Mattis, the world's most overrated general. You called your White House press secretary, Kayla Kennedy, milquetoast, and multiple times you've referred to your transportation secretary, Elaine Chao, as Mitch McConnell's China-loving wife. So why did you hire all of them in the first place? Because I, I got to say, that is about as combative and as difficult as a question. I'm going to play the answer. Don't worry. I'm not going to cut off Trump here. Uh, combative as a question is you could humanly ask someone that also has nothing to do with what's in the news. Uh, the news is all about the indictment. The news is all about defending yourself against the accusations that you kept classified documents and shouldn't have kept them. Uh, this is about uh, the individual um, and whether or not he actually succeeded his first time in office. And he's going to definitely tell uh, Brett Baird that he did in the people he chose to put in positions of power that now all oppose him. And I'm sure that anyone that feels uh, that the swamp is full by a lot more than just the left, but a lot on the right, will hear all of that and, and think all of that is a demonstration of how deep the swamp goes and how much uh, Trump is not necessarily a conservative, uh, but someone that's going after the system. But that's a un uniquely um, a difficult question, as I said, to ask, and one that Trump probably did not prepare for, because it would not be what you'd expect when you agree to this interview, and yet it doesn't stop 
Uh, he gives an answer. Here we go. I, I tend to one that were fantastic. We had a great economy. We had phenomenal people in charge of the economy. We had phenomenal people in the military. I'm not a fan of Millie, and I'm not a fan of certain of the television people. But I knocked out ISIS. I defeated ISIS. They said, Mattis, it would take three years, and I don't think we can do it. I did it in a period of, like, four weeks. There's a lot of people who praise you for your policies. I just said true. that. That's true. Well, I mean, you just went through a list. But don't forget, for every one you say, I had ten that love us. And one thing he had very high ranking people that uh, definitely do not like him right now for whatever reason. Uh, say that reason is one uh, that is the thing that makes so many support Trump and the thing he's fighting against. Or that reason is there is a aspect of what is said about uh, the behaviors of the president, of the the narcissism, if that's what you want to call it, of the president that makes him difficult to work with. Um, uh, if you want a, a kind comparison here, because uh, there is one I thought of and I'm not trying to say that they're the same guy. Uh, in any way, shape, or form, I've been honest about uh, my uh, preference for DeSantis compared to um, uh, Trump for a couple reasons. But it sounds a little bit like how people talk about Michael Jordan. Uh, all the people who played basketball with MJ did not wind up being fans or friends with MJ. Scottie Pippen, one of his most vocal critics now, which is heartbreaking to me as a kid of the 90s, to watch Scottie Pippen say the stuff he says about MJ and to have uh, Michael Jordan's kid uh, be dating uh, Scottie Pippen's wife. Uh, that relationship is just, is just broken, or ex-wife. Uh, not what I, I thought it would be when I was growing up cheering for both of them. But so, yes, if you want a positive assessment of the way in which that uh, back and forth went for Trump, it, it could be that one. Uh, but it certainly, as I said, is anything other uh, than a softball question. Quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff uh, out there to talk about. Going to get to good story, bad story in a second. I uh, missed it in the last half hour, so going to do that. Uh, but first, I want to talk a little bit about the submersible, uh, the um, the craft that is missing, um, that is really sort of uh, quickly becoming a, a big uh, story. Um, the uh, sub, which is known as Titan, uh, was last seen Sunday morning when it deployed from a ship named the Polar Prince. Uh, Titan lost contact with the service crew one hour and 45 minutes into its expedition. So one hour and 45 minutes after it leaves on Sunday, uh, no contact uh, with it anymore. Uh, you now have the Coast Guard uh, here in the United States. You have the Royal Canadian Air Force. You have other organizations searching uh, for this vessel, this uh, sub or submersible uh, is what they uh, keep calling it because it's a little tiny um, craft. It, it just has five people on it, including the CEO of the company, uh, I believe, is is thought to be on it, uh, the company behind the actual um, trips to go uh, look at the wreckage from the Titanic. So uh, that's supposed to be the journey, and it's a very expensive journey to take. Uh, people who go on this uh, wind up being very well off because it's, it's not, as I said, cheap. Uh, these people uh, that are believed to be the pastors on it include Hamesh Harding, a billionaire and explorer, uh, Paul Henry Nargolet, uh, a French explorer. I might be mispronouncing some of these names. Shazad Dawood and his son, um, who are both members of the Pakistan of a prominent Pakistani family. And then finally, as I said, Open Gate CEO Stockton Rush, 
who is the owner or the CEO of the company that actually does the expeditions in the first place. Uh, we started steaming from St. John, Newfoundland, Canada yesterday, and are planning to start dive operations around 4 a.m. tomorrow morning, uh, is what was said on a Facebook post Saturday. Uh, the team on the sub had a couple of legendary explorers, some of which have done over 30 dives as, as members of uh, the group going down. And as I said, within less than two hours of the start of this, uh, all contact was lost. And it's really the, the most surprising thing, I guess, to a lot of people is the lack of better technology uh, to exist here. Uh, there isn't a really valuable communication um, thing, system, that we um, have to replace the thing that went down. So whether or not they're, they're still uh, doing their journey, and they definitely should have come back by now, and they have only about 40 hours left of breathable oxygen as far as a backup system within the mini-sub uh, would provide to people in the off chance that they're, they're stuck somewhere, uh, but obviously not. Like, worst-case scenario, uh, something has already, um, um, like, been lost. Uh, but it's just such an interesting story because, again, in a day and age in which there's so much advancement in the world of technology, it is so difficult for us to find a sub uh, that was going directly toward uh, the uh, sink site for the Titanic, the crash site for the Titanic. So we, we know a lot of information. And uh, actually, it was one of the more shocking or hard-to-believe things. I know I'm, I'm pivoting this into politics, but only, I promise, for a second, of the whole spy balloon flying across the United States and then getting lost in the ocean, uh, more or less, is like, how did, how did that happen? How did we not uh, – how were we not capable of recovering more of it? Uh, but this story, yet again, sort of uh, rams home the point that once you let something get uh, into the world of our, our ocean and it, it can sink pretty quick, pretty fast – uh, et cetera, that it's very, very hard. Uh, the technology we have is very limited uh, to find these um, people and to find them quickly and to hopefully save their lives. But we're 40 hours or so away from definitively knowing that they would have no more breathable oxygen. Um, but it, it's certainly a story that, as I said, is is being talked about a lot. And it's just a tiny little uh, vessel that just five people would fit in that's uh, supposed to do a, a trip to the Titanic and turn around and come back. Uh, other things out there in the news, uh, again, I'll do my top five at five uh, in just a second, uh, but I did think that this story uh, was kind of just an interesting and let's call it a, a palate cleanser uh, from some of the other stuff that's out there in the world. Uh, our, fast face play, our fast food places, excuse me, finally uh, closing the no ice loophole. Uh, people think the fast food places may be cracking down on uh, you can't have uh, you can't order a no ice drink because a woman ordered a lemonade from Wendy's without ice and they didn't fill it all the way to the top. They gave her a half cup of, of, of liquid. Uh, I always go no ice when I go to Starbucks or anywhere else uh, only with the I haven't had Starbucks in a week since Betty's been gone. I, I can just like that be done with Starbucks because uh, she's the addict, not me. I'm not trying to be mean to you uh, if my wife is listening. I'm just saying I, I easily forget about it. But I go no ice all the time, and they've never pulled a move quite like this. Uh, but the Internet had a bunch of reactions, and um, I don't think Wendy's has responded yet. But I love how important this is. Uh, I talk about some of the biggest news of the day in the world of politics or uh, even in you know searching to try to find people and save them uh, who might be in danger. And then also, if you just glance over the Internet, trending stories uh, are no ice, um, you know, decisions, a thing of the past is trending as well. So way to go us as a society. All right. Time for good story, bad story. Uh, let's do one that sh shows you that the world is actually not so bad. And then at least one, if not two, 
uh, that will uh, say some other things about the world in which we live. Uh, the first one is a mom in Texas planned a birthday party at a burger joint for her five-year-old daughter. Her daughter's name is Willa, and no one showed up for it. All her friends' parents bailed at the last minute. Social media saved the day. Her mom posted a photo of Willa sitting alone at a big table with a bunch of different you know, uh, party-type things on it, and within minutes – People started showing up who saw the post. A bunch of them even stopped and bought gifts on the way. Uh, Willa had her favorite present of all time given to her, which was just the experience of hanging out with a a bunch of people and a crap ton of gifts uh, after you found out that no one's shown up. You know, I thought thought that was such a a good story. Um, It happened to a family member of mine. I don't know if I should say which family member. No, it wasn't me. Okay, fine. It was my sister. Um, I have two older sisters, so the the younger of my two older sisters, and she invited her whole class, and and who knows why uh, those things happened. I think it actually even happened to uh, one of Betty's nieces, and it was even like her family that didn't wind up showing up. Um, But for a kid, that's devastating. Like for a kid, that's the the toughest thing to understand, that no one goes to your birthday um, for, again, whatever reason. Maybe it's not that you're unpopular. Maybe it's uh, that stuff happened. And so I was really thrilled to see the end of this story was that a crap ton of people showed up Uh, because I remember when we found out about Betty's niece, like I wanted to figure out a way to get to Mexico. Um, And we were definitely not capable of getting there in time uh, by the time you find out. But it's just it's just so funny how and funny is not the right word, but but uh, uniquely interesting how those little things matter so much to kids. And I'm sure Willa, five years old, really did have a great party with a whole bunch of strangers in Texas. And it shows how much people understand, you know, that we can treat kids like kids and that this child uh, would have had a great time because of the kindness of strangers. Uh, So I just love that story so much. All right, two bad stories out there. Uh, The first one, a woman in Florida is facing a felony charge because she stole something from the Coast Guard there. Uh, the word in the in the article is a tricycle. And so a lot of people are picturing like a child's tricycle, which would be awesome if the Coast Guard had those for some reason. But it's actually that motorized uh, motorcycle thing that's got three wheels and not two that I think is incredibly dumb. I know there are people who might be listening to the show who drive one of those. Just get a motorcycle. That is not cool. I do not like it. I am not a fan at all. It's hottest take of the day. They just seem stupid. I don't know why. I've never been on one, so maybe I don't know what I'm missing. Maybe they're tremendously fun. But a motorcycle feels like way more fun. And I used to own one of those. I feel like you're going to have way more ability to bob and weave. And I don't know. Uh, you graduate from tricycle to bicycle. Never thought we'd go backwards. But she stole one of those. She was at the airport. Uh, she drove onto the runway and tried to board two different planes after getting out of the Coast Guard tricycle. Uh, she was eventually arrested because that is not the way that you can prevent yourself from missing a flight. And I like the fact that she tried to get on like two planes because I don't think she cared where she was going. She just wanted to go somewhere. An Allegiant Air flight that didn't let her on. And then actually a Coast Guard plane at one point that was like, wow, you stole our, our tricycle and now you're also trying to board our plane. Uh, this isn't going to work out for you. Uh, that is one bad story. I'll do one more and I'll just do this one quickly. And I, I just like this one. I don't even know if it truly counts as a bad story. Uh, but there's a story out there in the New York Post about how scientists are strapping smartphone-like sensors to sharks in the east, uh, off the uh, uh, East Coast to try to track them, to understand them better, and to apparently keep beachgoers safe in the Cape Cod area 
So you can get like an app on your phone that tracks whether or not there's any sharks in your area as long as they've been microchipped, as long as they've been smartphone censored. Uh, God forbid there's a shark that pops up in the area that's not on the app and you're totally confident. And then all of a sudden a uh, scary shark situation plays out. But just take my tip too, by the way, in that world, just punch, punch the shark once in the nose and you defeat shark. Uh, that's what I've said on the show several times. And nobody challenges me. Nobody sends messages and tells me I'm wrong and that I would not defeat a shark in a one-on-one -on -one fight. Absolutely never happens. Uh, not told constantly by literally everyone around me. But I just like that story. Um, because I like the idea that the scientists had to pitch this to someone and someone is funding this, that you're catching sharks, putting smartphone sensors on them and then releasing them back into the into the world. That's got to feel like a waste of time uh, to some of us, but not to them. A quick break. A lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. It's Taco Tuesday at the VFW in Peoria Heights. Uh, go there. Enjoy the best tacos in town, according to my wife, Betty, uh, who's from Mexico and uh, is certainly a taco connoisseur. Uh, and actually, the pro tip is to ask for the uh, corn tortilla, not the flour tortilla. Uh, that's something Betty's very passionate about. Uh, 1505 East Lake Avenue is the address for the VFW Peoria Heights. Their phone number is 309-682-9875, 309-682-9875. You've heard from the quartermaster, uh, Eric Thurman, a bunch on this show, uh, becoming a friend of the show and bringing in a lot of other uh, cool people that the VFW works with uh, because they do a lot of giving back to the community. And I've said on the air, like, you should go just donate money to them. It's probably unlikely uh, that a lot of people will walk in and just write a check out uh, of the VFW, but they do good things with it if you do that. Uh, but if you want to go hang out at a bar, um, you know, have some drinks, have some great food tonight or on Friday and Saturday when they have food, uh, maybe play some of the, the gaming machines and back uh, and know that the money you're, you're providing to that establishment is probably going to at least partially be used, uh, not just to support the bar, but to, to do good things in our community uh, by people who served and protected our community and still care, uh, then that's why you should choose the VFW. Go there. It's, it's dual win. Uh, plus, uh, try out some Casper beer uh, from a, a brewery in Bloomington that's owned by a vet as well. Uh, other things out there just quickly to talk about uh, before the show is over. I thought this was interesting. Uh, an artificial intelligence study uh, that was specific to, I think, um, um, Danish politicians. This is very, very niche. Uh, Danish politicians in 2017, uh, nature-owned journal Scientific Reports published this. And they published it a few months ago, but I guess it's just making the, the rounds now. AI said that uh, conservative women are hotter and they look happier. Uh, than um, uh, liberal, uh, than uh, Democratic politicians, again, uh, Danish politicians from 2017. Uh, this caused a lot of uproar on social media, uh, but the AI it looked at like 3,200 different uh, images of people and said that conservatives uh, seem to have a happier expression about 80% of the time in their faces, uh, with neutral uh, just about 19% uh, of the time. And then also they thought the the look of the um, politician on the right was better, um, uh, prettier. I think the word they chose was attractive. I went with hotter to begin with. Uh, but a really interesting study, uh, by the way, because I don't think we would do that here uh, in the United States. I, I feel like some people would get in trouble for even going down the road of asking such questions. But they did it there. Don't shoot the messenger. Not my fault. Uh, this is what they found out. Uh, this is not me. Um, other things that I thought were interesting uh, out there, I thought this was uh, sort of a dumb a uh, thing that's all over uh, social media and on, on TikTok specifically. People are discussing whether or not you've ever had, I can't believe I'm saying this 
on the, I'm going to give myself a second. Uh, if you've ever in your life had a ghost poop, <laughs> I'm a juvenile. I'm a child. Uh, a ghost poop is when you go to the restroom and you know you went to the restroom, uh, but due to whether or not the, the thing just goes into the toilet a certain way or even the, the cleaning up after uh, isn't what you expect it to be, there's no evidence that you went to the bathroom. So they're calling that ghost poop, and people are discussing the times that they have them, and even uh, medical experts and a gut health expert are describing uh, a, a registered dietitian by the name of Julie Balsamo is describing the reasons why this might happen uh, based on the things you're eating, uh, the size of said movement, etc. But I love this. 7.3 million people uh, viewed videos this week on social media about if healthy people are the people who have more ghost poops uh, than others. Uh, a question I never thought I'd ask and have no real good answer to uh, on the air, but uh, something that happened uh, anyway, uh, which sounds uh, like a lot of fun. Um, a content creator on social media also tried to give advice to uh, relationship men and women uh, in marriages that have, quote unquote, lost their spark. Uh, the content creator said that attraction is something that can fade over time and that the I love this part of the story. Uh, the content creator had studied human relationships, uh, not professionally. She's not someone. She's a viral you know, influencer. Uh, but she looked into it on her own. She read some stuff and she uh, now calls herself a personal trainer for love. And she thinks that attraction happens when the energy is able to flow freely from one person to the other. Uh, we call it chemistry. So she said the best way to to get a spark back in your relationship is to find out a way to get the energy flowing once again. Um, whether or not she meant something that, you know, uh, actually would be happening or, or some way uh, to, to do something that I don't understand at all. I'm not really sure which one it was, uh, but she said that miscommunication or quote mud is the biggest problem. That's the thing that muds up the, the energy flow uh, that causes you to not have the attraction uh, the way you want it. So get rid of mud in your relationship is what this, uh, social media influencer who now considers herself a personal trainer for love has said, I love that I just described all that to you. Uh, Starell is her name if you want to look her up on social media. Uh, one last thing, and this is just quickly with about a minute or so left, a billboard has gone viral and caused a lot of people to wonder if the billboard needed to be put up at all. Uh, but there's a billboard somewhere in the United States, I can't remember exactly where, uh, that says that there's a unique threat that we all need to be worried about and so the big giant text of the billboard says gonorrhea alert in, in large capital letters. And then it warns of a super bug, a super infection uh, that it says is spreading uh, in. Uh, I guess this billboard appears in up to 16 states, 36 different cities. Uh, and it actually even has a, a picture of different uh, world disasters that it says the, the drug resistant alert is all specific and about. And people are wondering again if this is something you needed to see in giant bold letters while driving somewhere on the highway. I don't think we have any close by us here, but let us know if you've seen one uh, because, yeah, it's definitely attention-grabbing. I'll give it that. 